gets. Once you start scouting, it's like a disease. It gets in your body. You're infected with it. You're tuned in to the Infectious Scouting Podcast with your hosts, Russell Landy and Rick Saratello. We're back here at it again on the Infectious Scouting Podcast with your host, Rick Saratella. I'll be joined by Russell Landy in just a moment for our 20th episode here on the Infectious Scouting Podcast draft cycle for 20 and 20. And, you know, the word infectious right now is uh, kind of scary and dangerous, but we are here to infect you with NFL draft coverage, knowledge, information. We're kicking off our positional preview series. Uh, actually, we kicked it off last week with the defensive backs. We discussed the cornerbacks and the safeties here for the 2020 NFL draft class. Today, we're going to break down the linebackers and edge rushers. We're working backwards here. So next week, we'll come back and uh, break down the D-line, O-line, and count you down to that 2020 NFL draft. No longer in Las Vegas, but maybe on Park Avenue. Uh where will the draft coverage be? How will it impact and affect all the players who did not get a chance to work out at their pro days? And shout out to the Test Football Academy here in New Jersey, where I had a chance to be on Monday to work out about 30 players and give them a platform and opportunity to test and measure and uh, get some legitimate times. And I can tell you this, the NFL teams have been very, very appreciative of it, as have the NFL, the CFL, um, and we have a longtime NFL, CFL veteran scout. He joins us here, courtesy of the Sports Management Worldwide Football GM and Scouting Course. Make sure you check them out, sportsmanagementworldwide.com, for the Russell Landy Scouting Course. I believe, Russ, welcome into the show. You had a course last night, from what I understand. What are you guys talking about over there on the GM Scouting Course? You know, I mean, a lot of people just want to know, like, what are the jobs like? What What's the different, what scouts are involved in what? Are there different scouts that cover college as opposed to dealing with free agency? So everything under the sun and also obviously a lot of free agency questions about what I think is some of the fits. But uh, it's always fun, always enjoyable trying to teach the trade and hopefully help some young people get into this business. No doubt, sportsmanagementworldwide.com, football GM and scouting course there. And as you mentioned, the free agency, it's, I don't know, fun, wild, crazy, insane, just like the rest of this world. I mean, it's hard to keep up with everything going on. Uh, any any thoughts and impressions on uh, Brady, et cetera, the trades, anything you want to share there? Well, you know, I mean, I, I looked at the Colts and it just, once again, it shows that Chris Ballard to me is just, to me, leap years ahead of most of the other GMs in this league. I mean, at the in the first round, you're hoping to get a quality starter. And to be able to, to get a player of DeForest Buckner's talent level is not something that consistently happens in the first round, considering just over half the first rounders end up becoming starters. So to get a guy like that, and all you have to give up is a 13th pick in the draft. To me, that's a steal for the Colts. And you just have to look at the 49ers and say, I get that you were sort of stuck with him and Armstead, but you basically gave away the better of the two players. Um, I, I, I understand that. To me, that just doesn't make sense for a team that I think obviously 
surpass expectations this year, but to give away what I think is one of your two or three best players on your whole roster, that's a little scary. I think Chris has done, as usual, a great job. I'm very excited to see the next two or three years. Was it Brady or was it Belichick? Let's get a good feel for this. I wouldn't be shocked if both of them struggle to win consistently. I think Tampa Bay is probably going to have the harder go of it, but I think both of these teams could be in for a shocking, uh, disappointing year. Interesting. You know, I, I like the marriage, though, between Brady and Arians. I think that's a pretty in- intriguing connection there. Uh, Chris Godwin, Michael Evans, O.J. Howard. There's some weapons there. Ronald Jones came on down the stretch of the season. So uh, Ali Marpet there, you know, blocking the blind side. So I'm intrigued, to say the least. I thought, obviously, that was the most exciting move. Back to your point about Ballard. I think he's the best in the business just about – uh, you know, he also goes out and gets Philip Rivers at $25 million per. Now, say what you want. Rivers did slide, you know, drop off a little bit. But, hey, when the Ryan Tannehills of the world are getting $30 million a year, and, you know, I go back to pre-Andrew Luck injury where I was viewing this Colts team as a championship caliber team, he said, hey, you know what? I'll worry about next year, next year. Let's go all in this year. Let's get us a quarterback we know can play some ball. Uh, he's got the connection there uh, with with uh, uh, Reich, I believe. So uh, I love that fit there. With you know, if, if there was one place where Rivers was going to go and thrive, I think Indianapolis was the team. So I think you know they did well. And then also, how about the the Texans? I mean, they want to operate without a GM rush, and they're just getting bamboozled. I mean, uh, you know, the 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 Vikings got more equity for Stefan Diggs then the Texans got back for DeAndre Hopkins and, and then they go out and replace him with the Randall Cobb. I mean, you just got to scratch your head and say, you know, th- at one point this Texans team looked like they could contend. And I feel like their window of opportunity has now passed getting rid of Clowney, getting rid of Hopkins. And I look around and I say, where's the talent left on this team? Yeah, it's a very strange situation. I mean, getting rid of talent, I mean, you know as well as I do in this business, I mean, you just think about it. Teams don't spend three, four, five million dollars in scouting every year just so they can get rid of talent. They spend that money to find talent because it's nearly impossible to find talent that's going to be able to start and help you win games. So when you look at that, you say, geez, they're just getting rid of talent. But the one thing I think that's important to realize, and trust me, I'm not saying it's a good trade. I don't understand it, is for all the things we want to say, Bill O'Brien has pretty much won his division every year except one that he's been the head coach. So I'm not saying I agree with the trade. I'm not saying I agree with getting rid of talent. But I will say in the NFL where winning is hard to do and winning your division year after year is tough to do, I think he's done it either four of the last five or five of the last six. That's not easy. Mm-hmm. So no. the, the trade, yeah, I think it's ridiculous. But at the same time, I do give the guy credit in that, you know what, if he's, if you're going to go down, and I'm sure you feel this way, I know you, you're a Jersey Shore guy. If I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down doing it the way I think is right. And I think Bill O'Brien has basically said, this is my philosophy. I'm going to do it. I'm the general. And if I have guys I don't really get along with or don't really fit in with what I want to do, I'm going to move them. Like I said, I don't agree with getting rid of talent. But at the same time, there are a lot of people in this business that would love to be in the playoffs five or six years. I'm sure Philip Rivers would have loved that just for one stretch of his career. 
And he was pretty sure. much you know, a wasted talent in San Diego. So the only thing I say to defend Bill O'Brien in Houston is they've been in the playoffs five of the last six years. That's pretty good in the NFL. I can't argue winning, that's for sure. Russell Landy, Rick Saratella here breaking it down. We're going to dig into some linebackers and edge rushers, counting down to the 2020 NFL draft. Just about a, ooh, 35 days away, maybe. Uh, if if, you know, if Russ, it happens, let's, let's, let's say we never know at this point what's going to happen. Well, uh, anything is possible. Anything is possible. Uh, to that point, you know, quickly here, I think, you know, we know the cause and effect, but. For those casual fans tuning in, trying to get caught up to date, I mean, to me, this just results into more seniors being drafted, more guys from the all-star circuit being drafted. It makes it more difficult uh, for the small school guys to get drafted without any kind of uh, legitimate, leg- legitimate measurables. So uh, how do you kind of see the ripple effect here in terms of how it's going to impact the selection process for us? Well, I think there's no question. You made, the, the point you make, it's not just the measurables, but it's also, think about it. You, you go to 8 million pro days. You go to more than me every year. Um, and at every pro day, just about, even the small school ones, there's either a scout or a coach from a team who's specifically there to work out a guy. And those small school guys, whether it's a Rhode Island or a Brown or, or Stony Brook, that may have, say they have a linebacker that's a fringe guy that teams are saying, oh, it could be a really good free agent, but I'm not sure. I haven't seen him really do this. So they send their linebacker coach out to work him out. And there's your decision. Is he a guy that we want to fight for or we don't? Well, this year, almost all of those guys are not going to get worked out by NFL coaches. Now, getting measurables, what you did at Test Academy, I think is huge because I think it gives a chance for some guys – who didn't get a combine invite to at least put some numbers out there so people have them. But yeah, this is this basically by canceling pro days like they have, and given there was about 30 that went on before it got shut down, but canceling them, it's going to hurt small school guys, and it's also going to hurt the guys at the major schools that weren't big time guys to get combine invites or all star game invites. A guy that might have been the second best or a third-best offensive lineman on a good Division One team. Let's say a lineman at Cincinnati or, or, or a defensive tackle at UCLA who didn't get a combine invite and didn't get an invite to the All-Star Games. Those are the guys that they may slip through the cracks. This is really going to be about the guys that went to the All-Star Games, the guys that teams have numbers on, and the small school guys that are going to get a shot are the elite guys. The guys who either went to the All-Star Games in Combine and destroyed it or put up unbelievable times in the spring when the Combine people came through a year ago and they had unbelievable seasons this year, even if they haven't had a chance to work out yet. But, yeah, it's going to really put a damper on a lot of kids that are hoping to get an opportunity as undrafted guys. The people also that, uh, that they are going to be helped are the guys from a year ago. The guys that came in and signed as rookies, undrafted guys that may have been cut that have been sitting at home waiting for that chance. They didn't get a practice squad opportunity. They didn't get a futures deal. A team may say, you know what? We have three spots left. We've signed our undrafted guys that we know. We don't really know a lot of these small school guys, but those three guys that we had in camp last year, they did a good job. They weren't terrible. Let's give them another shot. And all of a sudden, you see less guys from this year's pool actually getting signed as undrafted guys because one or two or three guys per team, maybe guys from last year, that they weren't even thinking about bringing in before all this craziness began. And you wonder, too, I mean, if the draft does 
hold intact. I mean, April 23rd to 25th, you wonder that first, you know, weekend in May when they do the local, you know, rookie days, if the facilities will even be open and they'll have that, you know, local day for the players this year. So, um, a lot of that may have to be a training camp thing. That may have to be like the week before training camp. They may have to hold it then because they may not even allow facilities to be open until say June or July. You may do it the week before camp, bring a bunch of guys in. And what you'll see is because teams don't get to see a lot of these small school guys that we've talked about, what they may do, whether it's in May or in in June or July, they may assign all our undrafted guys and that rookie minicamper won't just be, Hey, let's, let's have five trial guys. They may have 30 trial guys. And they may cut 20 of the undrafted guys, sign 10 more of the guys they tried out, and then bring in 10 more off the street just so they can look at them. Because without these small school products and working out of some of these lesser-known guys at the big schools, they don't know. And it really becomes a much more difficult thing if you're a small school guy and you get two days of a tryout instead of getting all of off-season because you had a good pro day and they say, we see something in you and we're going to sign you. Now you get two days in a minicamp, maybe three to prove yourself. It's really going to hurt these kids. It's really unfortunate. Well, I will say this last thing. You know, NFL Draft Bible is partnering up with the American National Combines, and uh, Steve Austin over there has been doing this for a long time. They still have a scheduled workout March 28th in Los Angeles that has not been canceled yet, and also April 5th in St. Louis. ANCCombines.com. As of now, they're still scheduled to go. Today's broadcast date is March 18th, and there's going to be three workouts in May that NFL Draft Live will be on location filming. And I've been getting hit up by agents around the clock, so uh, we're working through this. We're trying to work uh, around the... And I, and I, and I, I hope I can go. If you guys can set it up, I'll be there. Because I'd love well, to be able to get a, get a look at these guys and see if we can get a few of them opportunities, whether it's NFL or CFL. Consider it done, my friend. We're going to fly you out, put you up. It's it's a done deal. Uh, Rick Saratella, Russ Landy here on the Infectious Scouting Podcast, infecting you with NFL draft knowledge. That's what we're about, Russell Landy. Uh, he's been doing this quite a long time. I won't say how long. But he's been doing it long enough here where you're going to be able to just pick up some nuggets of gold as we go along the process. Last week we did defensive backs. Today talk linebackers and edge rushers. Um, let's start with the edge rushers because that excites people, Russ. And as far as I'm concerned, the best player in the draft resides in the edge rushers. Uh, give me your top five overall players who can get off after the quarterback in this year's draft. Okay, so I'm going to start at five because I don't want I got to build the hype up a little bit. And my number five is going to surprise some people. I have AJ Epinenza at number five. Um, he's a guy you and I have talked about a lot during the year. I like him. I think he's going to be a solid power defensive end in the NFL, but I don't think he's that quick twitch explosive edge guy. Um, to me, he's that guy in that second or third round, be a perfect fit. Get, get your hands on him, put him in there. He'll be a good player. Um, ahead of him, I have a guy that I sort of fell in love with this year um, in terms of potential, what he could be. He's not there yet. But the kid, Yatur, Yatur Gross Matos. I just think athletically, this kid's got so much potential. And when you watch Penn State play, you see him once or twice a game do things that – 
few NFL guys can do. And I just think, you know what? You get this guy maybe in that mid-second round. You get him with an aggressive coach like a tier link or someone like that who knows the finer points, teaching the footwork, teaching the body lean, all those different things. This kid's got a lot of the tools to really excel as a pass rusher in the NFL. Um, I think he got better and better and seemed to play his best in, in the biggest games that I saw. I didn't see every game he played, but in the bigger ones I saw. Now, the next two guys, my three and two, I have, at three, I have John Greenart, the kid from Florida. This is a kid that jumps off the film of me. I'm not sure why he's not getting the hype, and maybe there's some other things, injuries that I don't know about because I haven't done the deep dive character-wise and injury-wise on him. But just seeing him on film, this kid jumps out. He's got that little quick twitchiness that's hard to find. He's long and linear. He knows what he's doing. Um, this kid, to me, is really impressive. I like this kid a lot. I think he's got a chance to be a, a special pass rusher. My number two guy is not really a defensive end. He's a, he's a linebacker who's probably 235, 240 pounds, but it's my guy I've been talking about all year, and that's Zach Bond out of Wisconsin. I think this guy's just a, a, a ball of fire when you put him on the edge. I mean, this guy just comes like an unbelievable motor quickness off the ball, explosiveness, knows how to beat blocks. And when he gets by a blocker, it's over. He's getting to that quarterback. There's something about that kid I love. I think he's going to go lower than I have. I think this kid's going to be a second or maybe even a third-round pick. And I think this guy is going to be a consistently productive pass rusher in the NFL, a starter, either, either as a 34 outside guy or as a wide nine defensive end when he bulks up to 250, 255 for some team in a year or two. And obviously the number one guy, I mean, possibly the number one guy in the whole draft, depending on how things shake out, is Chase Young. I mean, this guy's a pretty special player in every area. Um, I think he's what you want in a defensive end in terms of long, linear, but powerful, thickly built in terms of that lower body, knows what he's doing, great technique, and just plays with a passion every single snap. There's something about this kid when you watch him. He never doesn't make a play because of effort. He may make not make a play because he gets chipped or a guy makes a great block, but it's never because he's not going full bore and playing aggressively. And to me, those are things when you have a pass rusher, if he doesn't play hard and aggressive all the time, it's hard for them to really be successful. And that's why I like this Chase Young. He jumps off the film when you watch Ohio State. I think this kid's going to not only be the first defensive player taken, but I think there's going to be some real debate three or four years from now as to why he wasn't the first player overall taken. Interesting. I had a chance to uh, spend some time with Chase Young at the Maxwell Football Club Awards down in Atlantic City about a week and a half ago, and he's got a presence about him too. Uh, he gave us some good nuggets, too. He said Sean, Shane, Sean Wade from Ohio State put it, mark it down top five overall pick next year. Uh, sounds like he likes him even more than Okuda, so that'll be one to watch. Um, you know, just to follow up here, Bond, I actually just did the mock draft for the NFL Draft Bible, which will be sent out this week in the next day or two. I have Bond going 29th to the uh, Titans there, Russ, where, you know, they kind of got that hybrid defensive scheme going on. I, I feel like Bond would be a great fit for them. Um, you know, Greenard is a great case study because here's a guy whose film is really good, and then you take a look at the injuries. I know he had an ankle. He had a wrist. At one point, he actually said he considered retiring and quitting the game all Yeah, that was a little weird. So, I mean, you know, uh, for that reason, 
you know, when you question somebody's heart, love of the game, I had to slide him a little bit. But I think talent-wise, and I get he that. could wind up – yeah, he could wind up, though, being the number two edge rusher in this draft, as I'm concerned. Um, and then, you know, talk about the background nuggets, right? This Yitor Gross Matos, who we've talked about, it seems like, all season long, I did not discover this nugget until the uh, past week, just, you know, crossing the T's, dotting the I's. This man, get, you know, anytime you have a man who has faced death in the face, give me that guy. Uh, I don't know. No it's doubt. It's a little bit of an edge. I had no idea that when he was younger, he was involved in a boating accident with his younger brother, his father, and his grandfather. They were all aboard a fishing trip. I guess they must have hit the, the current and found themselves into uh, some risky waters. The boat capsizes. His father jumps in the water. His father and grandfather jump. The whole boat capsizes. His father's able to hand him off to the grandfather, right? And his, fa- his father and brother do not make it out alive. They get gobbled up by the current. And I'll tell you what, man. This guy looks death in the face. When you got evenly matched up edge rushers here, you know, if it's between Gross Matos and Epinenza, two very similar players, give me the guy who stared death in the face. Call me crazy. I'll take that guy. And I agree with you, Epinenza. I think he's going to slide here, uh, maybe top of the second round. I think he remains inside the top 50. uh, But, you know, I just was a little bit turned off by his combine. I, I totally get it. I think you nail it on the head, though. There's something about the kid, um, just character-wise, that makes you think he's going to get better and better when he gets challenged in the NFL. I'm just excited to see him because when you watch him, you can see that he's just scraping the surface of what he could become. Mm-hmm. And that, that, to me, is what's most exciting. And I, I like his counterpart, too, there, that Shaka Tony, uh, the other uh, defensive end there at Penn State, who I, I want to see him bulk up about 10 or 15 pounds. I know he dipped his toes in the water, got an advisory board grade, and I think he's a guy we'll be talking about this time next year. So Russell Landy, Rick Saratella breaking down some edge rushers. How about uh, a player or two that you're a little bit higher on than others, Russ? Well, you know, it's one guy, and it's a guy I've been bringing up all year, um, is the the Josh Uche kid from Michigan. Um, I, I know this kid at times. He wasn't even the, the, the head muckety-muck there. He was sort of rotating at times, not getting as many snaps as other people. But I think when you watch this kid and he's got that quick burst, he, he knows what he's doing with his hands. He can dip that shoulder, turn the corner. Um, I think at the senior bowl, I think he showed that, you know what, there's more athleticism than he gets credit for. Um, this is a kid I think is going to get in the NFL, and he may not for a year or two really get on the field other than designated pass rush situations. But I could see this kid developing into a starting player. I really like this kid, and I just think, and you know this, Rick, you've been doing this a long time, if you can get to the quarterback, if you have an ability to get to the quarterback, it's the hardest thing to find other than quarterback. And this kid is really good at getting to the quarterback. Yeah, again, at the quarterback and protecting the quarterback has been uh, very hard to find these players. Um, so, you know, the one guy, as you know, I'm pretty high on Rondell Carter. I've been kind of tooting that train all season yep. long, the Rutgers transfer at James Madison and a guy that's probably going to get hurt here by not being able to perform or work out, but he had himself a week 
out at the uh, NFLPA Collegiate Bowl. I believe, you know, this is a guy that is, uh, whether gets drafted or not, is going to make a roster. And then one other guy, he was a late add to the Senior Bowl, tested really well at the Combine. I know he was nursing an injury down in Mobile, but if you go back and look at his last three or four games of the season, he made great strides as the year went on. Azor Kamara, uh, this guy, he's packed on some pounds. Uh, he's, you know, moves around pretty good. You know, his instincts are a little off. He's got to kind of get some more experience there and, and get a better feel for things. But I think, again, when you have some ability to get after the quarterback and you have the speed and the athleticism, I think he ran a four five nine in Indy. Uh, here's a guy who I thought, you know, going into the all-star game process, I thought he was a fringe draftable guy after the senior bowl and after his combine, I think he's got a legitimate shot now uh, to be selected here on day three of the draft. So keep an eye on him. Um, and then also the small school guys, you know, we got to shine the spotlight on them, Russ, you know, Cam Gill, my boy out here on Staten Island over at Wagner. Uh, we've been on his yep. bandwagon now for, you know, probably three years. And uh, he, you know, he was down at the shrine <laughs> game. Uh, yeah. He, you know, listen, Cam is a relentless, you know, he's the, Northeast Conference all-time sack leader. He comes in just under 32-inch arms. So he's going to have to stand up. He's going to have to learn to play the edge. He's going to have to learn to cover a little bit. Uh, but, you know, this is a guy I think that might be the best prospect to come out of this conference in the last five years. Uh, so keep an eye on him. And then Chauncey Haney, North Greenville. Uh, who? What? I mean, when we were out in Pasadena, and you're standing on the sidelines and talking to the scouts and you hear guys whispering and, 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 and mentioning names. Chauncey Haney was the most mentioned player of the week. Uh, all he did was light up Pasadena like a Christmas tree uh, all week long, just explosive, long, lean, uh, a frame to grow. I mean, this guy has got it all, speed, quickness, agility. He's got to work on his strength. He's a raw, raw, raw pass rusher. Um, Back to the point that, you know, he isn't going to get to work out. He isn't going to get to show that speed, and it is going to hurt him sometime. But I would not be surprised, Russ. Um, you know, round four, round five, I'd feel completely comfortable drafting this guy. It would not surprise me if somebody chance, uh, drafts Chauncey Gre uh, Haney <laughs> from North Greenville. Remember the name. Remember where you heard it here first. And you can get scouting reports on all these guys in the NFL Draft Bible publication. It's the only book on the market. We've got 622 scouting reports, 182 player interviews. I will have that out to the masses this Friday. It's going out. No holds barred. That's what I'm you. talking about. I mean, there is no better draft guide to get, period. If you love football and you want to follow the draft, and especially this year with the craziness, of this, craziness that's going on, a lot of guys that can't get worked out due to pro days, you're not going to have information about a lot of those guys because they don't have pro days. Most of the guys that are on the air talking about these things, they wouldn't know them if they walked up to them and, and handed them food. But <laughs> this book is going to have them. They're going to have info on them. They're going to have everything you need to know about almost never. Nobody gets all of them, but this will have as yep. many of the draft picks as possible. And there's no doubt, if you love the draft, this is the one you got to go get there. Well, we appreciate that, Ross. And a lot of background information, like the Yeet Your Gross Matos Nuggets and things of that nature, a bunch of interviews. I, I went into 80 different schools this year, and uh, we actually have a promo code if you want to save 20%. So uh, it is 2020 save 20. 
2020 NFL Draft. We're going to save you 20% right now. So 2020, save 20. Go to NFLDraftBible.com. Use that promo card code when you uh, check out in the shopping cart. And uh, you'll unlock the magic, my friends. Trust me, it'll be uh, well worth the investment. And it will kill a lot of this time. If you're one of those people that get cabin fever and you're bored from the coronavirus, hey, I've got something for you to do. We'll keep you busy. Uh, Russ Landy, Rick Saratella here. Uh, breaking down, we just did the edge rushers. Last week we did defensive backs. Now we're going to get into off-ball linebackers, Russ. And, uh, you know, Isaiah Simmons. You know, may have created the the biggest buzz of the uh, combine and the, the Lucas Oil Stadium there out there at the combine. Uh, I'm assuming he's your number one backer, but how does your top five shake out? Well, first, I just wanted to throw one more thing into before we leave the pass rusher situation. One other guy that I got under the radar, um, and we talked about him a little bit this year, but the kid from Michigan State, Kenny Wilkes, this is a kid that. Yep. He doesn't look it. He doesn't test it. It's just when you watch the film, all he does is get to the quarterback. This kid is a high energy. He's more of a power guy, but he's got deceptive quickness, powerful hands, knows how to defeat blocks. I think this is going to be a guy. He's never going to be an elite guy or anything, but I think he's going to be a guy that goes in that either third to fifth round, somewhere in that range. And I think George year will be a contributing player. But I think by that second year, you're going to see this guy either be a third defensive end or maybe even a starter on a team that has some other studs around him. And he's going to be a good workman-like guy who every year you look up and go, how did he get seven sacks? How did he get eight and a half sacks? And that's who he is. He'll never be special. He'll just be a good, productive NFL guy. So now we'll jump into the linebacker. This is a tough one. Because well, no, you know what? I want to follow up there because, you know, I did miss – I did overlook something too. And I had Willicks down here in my notes. And he's a guy, you know, I'm kind of mixed on. And I saw him up close in person. There was a big buzz. And Mike Mayock and all the evaluators are down there, you know, checking out the D-linemen. I don't know. There was something about it. He didn't really – registered to me as a guy that I was overly excited about. Day three, I get it. Which I, I get, because athletically, he doesn't have – he's not there athletically. Right. And that's what gets you a little yeah. scared. Yeah. But I think I think the upside is there, to your point. You, you know, you, you're pretty accurate. He's never going to be a superstar, but he's good, he can be a productive, you know, rotational, like situational kind of guy. Exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah he'll never be – trust me, he, we both know. You can see him – he doesn't have that step to just get the corner and be like, come and catch me, and I'm around and gone. That ain't going to be him. He's going to be your, let me put my nose in the dirt, and I'm going to come in because our two starters are tired, and I'm going to give you 15 to 25 snaps a game, and you're going to be shocked that I get pressure, but it's because the tackle doesn't think I'm special, and I'm going to outwork him, and I'm going to get some pressure. But he is not a special athlete. There's no question. And then, you know, we were doing the one guy uh, that were higher on than others. I forgot my one guy that I'm lower on than others, and that would be Alex Highsmith from Charlotte. And I, and I got to sit down and have lunch with Alex, great kid, love the, play, love the person. But, you know, when I went and watched him play, he had three and a half sacks, actually. The game I went and watched him against William and Mary, I think it was. But, I mean, Russ, I mean, they're just all effort. And this was the theme throughout the season. He probably had 18 or something sacks. But they're just high-energy effort sacks. You know, he's not doing anything special. He's not showing any pass rush repertoire. He's not showing outstanding bull rush and strength. He's just high motor, you know, play-to-the-whistle type of guy. And because he just goes full throttle every single play, 
the the result of that is he just winds up around the ball, and a lot of times it, it's in the backfield. A lot of times he just happens to you know pick, collect that you know uh, hand pat sack. You know that that Michael Strahan, Brett Favre. Let me just you know tap him. I got a sack here, and to me, you know, you look at the production at a guy like Highsmith, and then you go watch him, and the two just don't add up. So that's the one guy there that I'm lower on. I think, you know, than most people are. And I, I, I slapped the seventh round grade on him, but if I was an NFL team, I'm not touching the kids. Well, and I got to tell you, one of the points you make there, which is a great point that I think a lot of people that haven't been with teams wouldn't get, but clearly you've been doing this so long, you understand, which is when, when teams go and scout small school guys, especially small school guys who put up huge numbers, it's important for you to figure out why are they productive? Because at the lower level, if you're big, and he's a, he's a well-built, solidly-built kid, he's a strong kid, mm-hmm. he's going against guys that are most of them are going to be working in finance or, or accounting or, or fast food or whatever it may be a year from now. So because he's a strong, powerful kid who's well-built, who's smart, who knows what he's doing, and he gives phenomenal effort, at that level, he's going to dominate. So the trick for an NFL scout is figuring out, okay, which guys that are small school guys are special enough to translate that athletic, their, their production to the next level. And one of the things that get overlooked, I always hear people saying, well, he wasn't a dominant player or he has to be a dominant player. At the small schools, it's not about dominating. It's about we have to figure out do you have the athleticism to make the jump? Because there are a lot of guys who are dominant small school guys, like this guy who gets 15, 16, 17 sacks. And when you watch them, they're just try-hard effort guys. The other side of the spectrum, if you, you probably remember, is when Jared Zeldier came out of Hillsdale College about yeah. 10 years ago. There were a lot of NFL scouts that said, hey, if you watch the film, you want to turn off the film because he gets beaten so easily. And although he doesn't give up sacks, his guys get hits on the quarterback, they make tackles. But the one thing you saw was a six-six kid with – just amazing feet and tremendous athleticism. And you said, okay, he's playing at a small school. He's smart. He's highly competitive and he's a great athlete. Yeah. He's not a good player, but we're trying to find athletes that we can coach into players. And that's why he came in and it took him a little while, but once he got the technique and figured it out, he became a quality starter. So you make a great point on the kid from Charlotte. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I saw a few games on TV. I didn't grade him, but I never saw that just that, burst off the ball or that change of direction that was dynamic that made you say, ah, this will translate. What I saw is a guy similar to the Wilkes guy from Michigan State and that his best chance of succeeding is going to be as a, as a role player. And he's going to have to do it against players that are all better than anybody he's ever gone against, which is what scares you with a guy that doesn't have elite athletic ability. Russ Landy, Rick Saratella, tell them it like it is when it comes to the NFL Draft. Since 2002, it's what we do here at the NFLDraftBible.com. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, at Russ Landy, at NFL Draft Bible. We got you covered for the next month and change, counting you down to the 2020 NFL Draft. So we hope here in uh, April 23rd through the 25th. All right, Russ, let's switch it up, change gears here, and uh, go over to the linebackers. What do you got for us? Okay, so I'm going to give you my five, and then I got one guy sort of off to the side who probably deserves to be in the five, but that's a whole other story. 
So I got some guys higher than other people think. My number five guy is a kid from Ohio State, Malik Harrison. I think this kid's getting overlooked. When I watched Ohio State this year, I said, yeah, we know Chase Young's elite. We know Akuda's elite. But I kept seeing this guy saying, how is this guy not getting talked about? He's athletic. He can cover. Get out in space. He looks fluid. Um, this kid, I think, is going to be better than people talk about. This next kid's a kid you turned me on to. I hadn't really noticed him the first few times I, I poked on Penn State. But you kept saying, Russ, what do you think of Cameron Brown? What do you think of Cameron Brown? I kept saying, I got to look at him. I got to look at him. He's the real deal. I mean, you kept pestering me to look more. I looked more. I liked what I saw. Then we go to the Senior Bowl. And I don't know if there was a linebacker there that was more fluid. I mean, he was incredible when he would drop and he had to flip his hips and then flip him back the other way because the guy crossed his face. He never got out of control. He never looked like he was going to lose his balance. I think that's a kid that's going to be a really productive all-around coverage linebacker. Um, the Patrick Queen kid, the LSU kid, isn't getting a lot of national publicity, but I think when you talk about a kid that can run for the play, that can cover, there's something about this kid I like him, played in the SEC, and he never looked like he was out of sorts in terms of athletic ability, covering guys, changing directions. Um, yeah, Ken Murray, Oklahoma. Uh, I know this kid's got the hammy that's been holding him up, and people really were hoping to see that pro day workout, which obviously isn't going to happen. But in terms of athleticism, I mean, this kid can run. And the thing I like about him is when he gets there, he's not going for the low wrap-up tackle. He's not trying to just get in the way. There are times he's going to literally run right through guys and put his helmet right in their chest and try to drive them off the field. Um, I really like this kid. I think there's something to him. Um, the number one guy, I think he's number one on everybody's board. But I will say I am nervous about this kid, the Isaiah Simmons kid, um, because I'm trying to figure out who is he. Which guy is he? Because I try to always look and say, what guy do I compare him to that's come along in the past that has similar traits? And when I look at Isaiah Simmons, there are two guys that jump out to me. There's a kid with the Chargers, Derwin James, who's a freak of nature, who somehow slid to 17 and the Chargers got lucky and then he was still sitting there because he may be the best player in the whole Chargers defense. And that includes Joey Bosa, who is a freak of nature, elite top five defensive end. Derwin James is a game changer. I don't think Simmons is that type of guy. I don't think he's got that ferociousness, that violence to him. But the other guy I compare him to a little bit, and I don't want to scare people that much, but he reminds me a little bit of the Aaron Curry kid who came out of Wake Forest over a decade ago. And that he's a mm-hmm. tremendous athlete, but I don't know where exactly to fit him. I'm not sure, is he a true linebacker? Is he an inside guy? Is he a safety? What do I want to do with this kid? And my biggest fear, I think if he were to go to a team like San Diego, not well, with Derwin James there, it's not going to help, but go to a team where they have a defensive coordinator like Bill Belichick or, or, or Gus Bradley, where they're going to move him around and use him to his strengths, I think he's got a chance to be special. But I think if he goes to a place where you have a very vanilla defensive coordinator who's going to say he's playing Sam and that's it, and he's stuck in one spot, I think he'll be solid, sort of like Aaron Curry was, but he'll never be a real playmaker. I think his strength and the ability to – his best chance and best ability to be an impact guy is to move around to be that Derwin James that lines up everywhere, to be what Kyle Van Noy was with the Patriots once they got him, a special guy that can be sort of a Swiss Army knife, not a one-position player. I think if you put him in one position, you're going to be really disappointed. You know, it's interesting because that leads me into my next question. I'm looking at my mock draft, and because of all the quarterbacks and offensive tackles lumped up top, I have uh, Simmons sliding all the way down to 10 to Cleveland. But I am tempted one more selection there at 11 with Greg Williams in the Jets. 
to me, that could be the difference between a successful career and a disappointing career. And my next question was going to be, you kind of answered it. Uh, you alluded to it with your last comment there. But my, my question to you is going to be, as a GM in the war room, say you get down to the 10th or 11th pick, you have this guy as your fifth best available player, but you don't have a role. I've heard different philosophies. You've got to have a role for this kid. My philosophy is, hey, if you believe he's a blue chipper, get the talent, figure it out later. That's your coach's job to adjust. How do you view it? Well, firstly, I agree it's your coach's job. But let's remember, the coach's job is they, they finish coaching at the end of December. So you've got January, February, and basically March and April by the time the draft gets here. If your coach can't come in, and you would hope they do this in your final draft meetings, that your coaching staff and your defensive coordinator, they come in and they say, here's our plan. If they don't have a plan, then to me, I think you have to hold off as a GM and say, wait a sec, we don't even know what we're going to do with this guy yet. And it's not that he can't become good. It's just you're basically saying, hmm, we're going to trust this guy with a coaching staff that hasn't even put together a plan on how to use him. That would scare me as a GM. If I have a staff where they say, hey, we know he's a unique guy. So here's what we're doing. Here's the four basic packages we run. We run these 85% of the time in terms of fronts and alignments, and we do some things out of them. But these are the four main ones. Here's where we're lining them up in all four. And this is what we're going to do, and this is why we're going to do it. Then I take a deep breath as a GM and say, okay, we're, we're not plugging this guy into one spot and saying that's it. We have a plan. We're going to take advantage of him. Let's go ahead and do it. And that, to me, would be the difference between taking what I think is a gamble or taking what I think is an easy pick, which is if you've got a plan to move him around and use him to his strengths, I think he could be special. But I think if you don't, I think you could really hurt this kid. And he could be end up sort of being like the Kyle Van Noy, where he's a complete flop in one city, and then he goes out and he goes to the Patriots, and he's one of the most valuable defensive players. I think he got over $10 million plus now by the Lions, I think, to go sign with Matt, Matty Patricia. So there you go. Um, my top five isn't much different. I, I, I appreciate the love and respect for Cam Brown. I, I think this guy, he's not a Honolulu All-Pro kind of player, but he, I think he's going to play a decade in the league. He's going to be a, a, a strong starter. I mean, these are the kind of players that championship teams are built around. And, you know, every time you bring up Bryson Hopkins from Purdue, because I know you're a fan, I always think back to the Penn State game I was at, and Cam Brown just completely shut him down and, in my opinion, shut shut his whole draft stock down for me because I still get can't get pe- past that game. Cam Brown just punching him in the face at the line of scrimmage took Bryson Hopkins completely out of the game. And it, uh, I, it's just a hard memory for me to erase from my head. But this is a guy, you know, I have him going, I think, 74 in my latest mock draft. Uh, you know, I think he's going to go higher than that. But um, – the other guy, Jacob Phillips from LSU, cracks my top five. I would just probably flip-flop him and Malik Harrison. Phillips, I think, gets kind of lost in the mix there at LSU, playing alongside Queen. I think Phillips can be uh, you know, just as productive pro at the next level. And I will say the one guy kind of knocking on that door, that's on the outside looking in just for the off-field issues, because I think if you take the character concerns out of the equation, Willie Gay Jr., is a borderline first-round pick talent-wise. Now, uh, I don't know what the team meetings and interviews were like out in Indianapolis, but here's a guy who's going to go on day two somewhere and probably 
outplay a lot of his counterparts, uh, you know, as his career progresses. Who are some of the linebackers that you're higher on than others, Russ? Well, uh, sort of two guys. And one of them I already mentioned, the Malik Harrison kid. This is a kid that I think – I don't know why he's not getting the, the, the publicity. Um, I honestly thought when I watched him, I said, this guy to me is a second-round guy, possibly a late first. If some team at the end of the first is nervous, he won't be there. But is he going to be a superstar? I don't think he'll be a superstar. But I think this guy's a very valuable coverage guy. I think he can play the run. I think he knows what's going on. And he's unlike a lot of coverage guys. He's not a thin little guy. He's a, he's a solidly built kid. I really like him. And the other kid, and this is really sort of, I'm higher on him than most. And it's mainly because I'm not with a team at this point in the NFL that I have to risk my career on an injury guy. So I don't know the whole medical, but I tell you what, if Marcus Bailey is healthy, I mean, this kid out of Purdue, if you look at his film from 2018, you, you might be talking about a different number one at that linebacker position. I mean, this kid was special when he was healthy a year ago before he blew out his knee. So he, to me, is a guy I, I'm, I'm sort of interested to see what happens. If he doesn't go in the first round, that tells me that his medical did not check because he got hurt. We're talking back in, I think it was August. So you're talking this yeah. almost six, over six months now since he had the surgery. So he should at least be to the point where they can say, you know what, the knee is sound. It's going to be another four months before he's full speed, but there's no other major damage, whatever. If he doesn't go in that first or maybe even the second round, if he doesn't go in those two rounds, to me that tells me that there might be more to this knee that isn't going to be good in the long term. But as a player, wow. I mean, I remember throwing on the film right after he got hurt. I said, I'm going to go watch this kid because people are telling me that it's disappointing because he had a chance to be drafted. I put on the film, I said, a chance to be drafted. I said, what are these people watching? Do they, do they know that Bailey's this number? Because he wasn't just going to get drafted. This guy was going to be a first-round pick. I love this kid. He's all over the field. He's phenomenal in coverage. He's great run of the ball, and he plays with passion. That's the kid I'm in love with. You know, you're, you're, you're one of many that have said that to me. And, you know, I just – I've struggled with Marcus Bailey because, you know, here we are in 2020, two, two uh, blown ACLs, you know, to be the end of your career. I remember Stephen Davis, uh, uh, the Redskins Panthers running back, was the first guy I think to ever come back from two torn ACLs. Here we are, 2020, uh, probably about 20 years later, and you know I've got a lot of people telling me they're really high on this kid. But you know, six-year uh, senior, I believe he'll probably be an older rookie prospect. You might yep. have to redshirt him, so. He'll probably be 25, 26 before he even gets onto the field for you. But, hey, to your point, the kids can play football. And I think, you know, every team you poll probably has a different opinion on where they grade him out. So he'll definitely be an intriguing player to uh, keep an eye on. Um, for me, you know, Sean Bradley, if you listen to the show, Temple, Temple Tough, ran that 4 5 one forty, I think, at the Combine. Um Solid mid-round pick, as is Michael Walker, who I also got to see live uh, when I was out on the West Coast. Fresno State was playing UNLV, and, uh, you know, we had a chance to see Michael Walker, Javin White there. Walker is just really good-looking player. He wants to play the edge at the next level. I like him as a Mike. I think he's a similar player to Hassan Reddick, 
but you don't have to spend the first round pick. You could probably get him in round three or maybe even round four. So I think Michael Walker is going to be a great value selection, and he has some versatility to him, and he just really looks the part. Um, and then the other guy uh, who I like, and I think you might like also, Russ, is our guy from Army, Cole Christensen, who is a tackling machine. He came out to Pasadena. We said, Cole, listen, you got a lot of potential. You had a bunch of tackles. You left some plays out there on the field on your film. Scouts want to see you show up here and make the tackles. Uh, during the actual NFLPA game, he, he had a great week of practice. During the actual game, he went out, I think he had about eight or nine tackles all over the field, uh, heeded our advice, wanted to make a point and prove to the scouts that, hey, I am a solid wrap-up tackler in open space. And I know our buddy, our good friend Vincent Nicholson, who reached out to you about Cole Christensen, Russ, he was, he was a little heartbroken and upset. He said, you know, I called Russ. He didn't know who I was. He said, I got to make a better impression on, on him, I guess. You know, we're hanging out at Primonti's. We're hanging out at the, the Hooters. <laughs> and he had no idea who I was. <laughs> no, I knew who he was once he gave me his name. When he got on the phone, he was giving me it. I was like, who? Who's this? I said, hey, I couldn't hear who was. Man. I said, you got to excuse Russ. You know, he's, he's big, big time now. <laughs> oh, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> he said, "What well, I got to do to get me. some respect around here?" I said, "I, I said, I don't you know. Russ is a busy guy, man." <laughs> oh man, no, I knew who he was. I was just—I couldn't hear who he said the player was. <laughs> uh, we're having some fun here on the Infectious Scouting Podcast. Hey, to Russ's, uh, 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 to Russ's uh, defense. There was a lot of Tito's involved out in Indianapolis. We drank them out of Tito's. <laughs> uh, the one guy I will say that I'm down on, Russ, is Davion Taylor. Not sure if you had a chance to check him out. I saw him against Oregon. And, you know, track athlete, uh, you know, incredible combine performance. But then when you watch him play, yeah, he has great time speed. But he's just a stiff, you know, straight line player. I just don't know if he has the hips to survive at the next level. Somebody's going to draft him probably early day three, I'm guessing, uh, maybe even late day two, just based on the measurables. But if you put on the film, Davion Taylor from Colorado is the guy that scares me. Two other guys I'll mention, Christian Roseboom, the small school, South Dakota State University guy. Uh, we added him to the NFL PA Bowl. I think he has a legitimate shot to be a, a make guy, not just a practice squad guy but a 53-man legitimate guy. And then Dejon Lee from St. Francis, those of you who tune in to the whole nine yards throughout the season at the NBC, uh YouTube channel, you know, we've talked about Dejon Lee the entire season. A little bit undersized for the next level, but this guy's got incredible lateral uh, movement, side-to-side, sideline-to-sideline coverage, and he'll, he'll even get after the quarterback a little bit. I mean, he's just a playmaker. He creates turnovers, had a few picks. Uh, causing all kinds of fumbles, active hands, uh, gets his hands on balls. Dejon Lee, he'll be a, a, a camp tryout kind of guy that, you know, maybe goes on and, 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 and inks a contract, but just keep an eye on him in terms of small school guys. Um, I think we've covered well, I, a lot I got a comment on one of your small school guys. I got I to mention one of your guys because as part of my gig with the, the Stampeders is I email every college in America saying, hey, here are when our tryouts are happening. 
So I send an email up, and I don't just send it to the head coach. I send it to like nine people on staff to make sure somebody gets the information on the players. So I send it up to South Dakota State because I've known Coach Steves for 20 years now, their head guy, just one of the best humans in the world. Um, and I and it wasn't Steves that got back to me. It was someone else there. I don't remember who it was. And he's like, hey, he said, I don't think this kid's a guy that you have to worry about in terms of tryouts. But he said, just so you know, he said, the best player we got this year – because he listed a few guys. He said, hopefully we can get them to try out for these other guys. But he said, the best player we got is this Rosebloom. And he said, he's a rock star. He said, this is the type of guy that in our conference, he looks like he shouldn't be playing in our conference. He said, this is a guy that looks like he's a guy from Alabama or USC that got stuck on our defense. And all of a sudden, he's making 47 tackles a game. So I was like, oh, I got to check him out just to take a peek. Even though he said, I think he's going to get an NFL shot. A lot of scouts have been coming in and looking at him. Within yeah. a game, I was like, yeah, he's going to get an NFL shot. Now, whether it sticks or not, you and I know, small school guys, if it, it, it's such a battle, and they lose almost every tie. But what he does on the field and what he shows athletically, he deserves to be on the NFL roster, no doubt. Whether he gets that chance, who knows. But, yeah, you, you nailed that one. That's a small school kid that I think has got a, a real chance to play in the NFL, not just make a roster, but be on a team, playing on special teams and developing into maybe a starter, but at least being a quality backup and elite special teams guy. I agree. I think he looked the part out in Pasadena and, uh, you know, was right there neck and neck with all those guys. So um, it's been another you know, hour of power uh, here on the Infectious Scouting Podcast. We do it each and every week. Russell Landy, Rick Saratella, breaking it down. You can follow us on Twitter at Russ Landy, at NFL Draft Bible. It's an exciting time of the year. Uh, we're going to have the NFL Draft Bible publication. We'll be sending out the PDF. Uh, on Friday, we'll get it over to the publisher this weekend. We'll drop those bad boys in the mail. So uh, by the first week of April, you'll have that. You'll have a whole month to digest that. All 622 scouting reports. Don't forget the promo code. Uh, it's 2020, save 20. All one word. At the checkout, you save 20%. Of course, the football GM and scouting course is off and running at sportsmanagementworldwide.com. You can still sign up for that. Any other parting shots for the people here, Russ, before we uh, put a bow on it? No, I think the one thing I want to say, just a side note, just uh, there's a lot of craziness going on, but you guys deserve a lot of credit. What you did down at Test Academy and what you're going to be doing with these uh, the ANC Combine people, like I said, it's not going to replace um, the fact that NFL coaches can't go there and put these kids through workouts. Um, that's going to hurt these kids no matter what. But at least being able to organize something where some of these smaller school or lesser-known big school kids get a chance to get verified numbers. Because one of the things, and this is something you and I have talked about a lot, is if a place can have laser numbers or verified stuff from NFL people, that helps them get over the hurdle of, hey, we really love this corner from – West Virginia State, not West Virginia, but West Virginia State, a tiny school. We really like this kid's play, but we don't have a 40 on it. Well, all of a sudden, they get the stuff from you at Test Academy, and everybody in the NFL knows Test. They know that they work hard. They do it the right way. And while it may not be an NFL-verified time, at least they say, hey, on a, on a Test Academy laser, which we know is going to be pretty accurate, this kid ran a 449 or a 452. They're like, okay, we know then that at least athletically, we think, I shouldn't say athletically, but speed-wise, this kid can hold up. 
So he, he may not get the draft opportunity because they couldn't put him through a workout, but at least he's going to get that chance as a free agent because he's going to get some numbers to show teams. So it's no doubt valuable. Um, I give you guys credit for getting out there and doing it. I think a lot of people would be too scared to get out and do that, but uh, hopefully these combines, they, they get to go on and they're not uh, stopped because it could. If you're holding five of them, we're talking about you could end up with 2,000 kids at these five things and hopefully get maybe 100 or 200 of these kids real, real numbers. That, I mean, they're all going to get real numbers, but get one or 200 of these kids really good numbers that get them a chance in the NFL or possibly the CFL. No doubt about it. Uh, ANCCombines.com if you want to you know, sign up for any of our upcoming workouts. And then, you know, anyone looking for that information, we did post it on the NFL draft Bible.com, all the press uh, test pro day results. We had, you know, two trainers, uh, gear and skip, as well as myself doing the handheld times. We had the laser times we have post, you know, we cross referenced, verified and confirmed all times. We posted the laser and handheld times up there on the website and then, you know, Kevin Dunn, shout out to Kevin, the owner there at Test. He live streamed, stood there and stood and gave you the scout perspective, stood exactly where a scout would stand, streamed the entire workout on Facebook. If you go to Test Football Academy uh, on Facebook and you can watch, there's no shenanigans involved. He comes over, shows you the times. We did it all the right way, legit way. Uh, a lot of teams tuned in and watched it, and uh, this self-quarantine giving people uh, too much time on their hands because I never imagined to hit 15,000 viewers, but, you know, obviously uh, there's a need for this, and, you know, while we have to be safe, we also can't put our entire lives on hold and prevent these young men from ruining their careers or, or preventing them from having an opportunity to extend their careers, so we appreciate that, Russ. Um, you know, we appreciate you all there listening. We hope you stay smart, stay safe. Tune in to the NFLDraftBible.com. Tune in here to the Infection Scouting Podcast. Drop us a line. Drop us a review on iTunes. Share it. Spread the word. Spread the love because we're here for you. Till the next time, everybody. You're tuned in to the Infectious Scouting Podcast with your host, Russell Landy and Rick Zaratella.